Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Uh, here on staff. I am not a sound tech. I don't know how all that stuff works, um, but I am uh, affluent in preaching the gospel. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to stick to my gifts. I'm excited to, be, uh, to have you here, excited for you to be viewing online. Hopefully you can uh, hear me now. You missed just a plethora of great humor. That's what you missed. Um, it was on mute. And so uh, in that, uh, excited to be going through this series called Lest We Turn. And basically what we're doing is we're looking at what has happened whenever Israel, uh, what, what does their life look like when they're looking to the Lord, looking to Yahweh, God the Father, and, and then what happens, and, and really we're not going to see much of it in Joshua until we get the judges, but what happens whenever Israel turns their face from the Lord, and actually they begin to look at themselves or their own materials or their own things. And so today, uh, I have this incredible opportunity to kick off Joshua uh, 13, which is uh, fortunately and unfortunately for me, where the book actually begins to shift. And so Joshua 13 is kind of the, it's the middle of the book. And what happens is we transition from uh, exciting wars and prostitutes saving the day and the sun standing still to now we're at, as you just heard, really difficult names to say, really difficult cities to say. And Joshua allotted this and Joshua allotted that and Joshua allotted for the next nine chapters. Okay. You see what they did to me? All right, I'm up here the next three weeks. Those are my next nine chapters I get to preach to you. And so I actually read a commentary this week in light of these next nine chapters. I'm reading, 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 and here's what it basically said. Good luck. <laughs> Did you see my Facebook post? It said, it would be an unusual pastor to think it worthy or, or mindful to spend week in and week out exegeting these nine chapters. <laughs> so I thought, oh, dear Lord, I'm just going to stick to the promise, I guess, right? I am an unusual pastor, so that's... We got that going for us, don't we? Here's the reality of it. It's a difficult text, okay? And so whether you are following along in the reading plans that we have passed out for you, whether you're following along in a reading plan, you think? Yeah, give me your pack. The whole pack? Yep. Okay. Just talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> we'll be back. So we have two options when we come into the text, whether you're reading through the reading plan that I just tried to show you or whether you're in my position and you have to preach through these next nine, cha- uh, next nine chapters. And, and basically you have this, uh, we can remain faithful to the promise of God. Even though we can't say all the names, we don't have full clarity on what's happening, we can ma- remain faithful to just stay in the word of God. Uh, just believing that the Holy Spirit is most certainly going to benefit us, even though we don't know how to enunciate some of the things we just heard, or, or, as you're reading through, or in my case, trying to preach through, we can try to trust ourselves. And we can think that we know better. And we can look at this text and say, well, this is never going to benefit me. It's not going to do anything for me. I'm just going to read First John because that's easy, like it's actually any easier. So we have two options. We can trust the Lord or we can trust ourselves. And, and, and in this moment, though, as we're presented with this text, what I would pray that we would do and what I'm going to aim to do if you would join me is simply remain faithful to the promise. 
to spend time in the word, to see what the Holy Spirit might want to press out through his word to his church. And so the big idea, and really all the points, but the big idea is remain faithful to the promise if you're a note taker. If you're online following along, hopefully you can hear well by now. The big idea is to remain faithful to the promise. Well, what is the promise? The promise is then that God will provide uh, land, God will provide people, and God will provide a Messiah. Okay, what's the promise? The promise is that God will provide what? Land, that God will provide people, that God will provide a Messiah. What's the promise? The promise is that God will provide land, God will provide, God will provide a Messiah. You should be a little bit more enthusiastic, okay, because you are the people, by the way, right? Let's kick this thing off. Remain faithful. Here's your first point. It's the same as the big idea. Remain faithful to the promise. What's the promise? Land, people, Messiah. Here it goes. Verse 1. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, I think this is so funny, you are old and advanced in years. He's like, I know. (laughs) Obviously. And there remains yet, what, very much land to possess. And so Joshua, or sorry, God starts off by calling Joshua old. Sometimes you just got to call a spade a spade, you know? And so Joshua's sitting there, and he's like, okay, this, this is true. Thank you for reminding me of where I'm at. And here's what's beautiful about this. Here's what I want to sit in. The number one demographic that we grew by, grew by before even entering into a merge was older people. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying old people. I'm saying older people. You got to put the right emphasis on the right syllable. We grew by older people. What do you think was the oldest age in our church the first two years that we were alive? What was the oldest age? Somebody give me a guess. 50? Doran. (laughs) Technically Doran, yes, yes, technically Doran. Besides Doran. Besides Doran, what was the oldest age? What do you think it was? No, not 87, no way. The first two years of our church, with the exception of the Rakers, the oldest person in our church was was 36 years old, the first two years. And, and here's what I will say about Doran and, and Ms. Debbie Rakers, you all throwing their names out there. Hey, they remained faithful to love us as a young church. Their faithfulness has been incredible. So we grew by older folks, not just old folks. Like, I'm 36 next month. I'm just now catching up to who was the oldest, second oldest, I guess I should say now, in our church. Listen, there is nothing more beautiful than a faithful, seasoned Christian. I mean, someone who has spent their life just clinging to the promises of God and just allowed us to watch. There's something, nothing more beautiful. As many of you know, I was raised partially by my grandparents, and I remember my grandma would sit and read the Bible every day. And I remember as a young kid, I mean a little kid, probably my son's age, probably six or seven years old, I remember sitting and talking with her and and I asked her, you know, about her reading the Bible and how many times she had read through, straight through the Bible. She was on her 31st time. 31 years straight, my grandma read straight through the Word of God. I was probably seven years old. And she would just drip godly wisdom on me as a small kid. She was a beautiful, faithful, older saint. There's nothing more beautiful than that. I turned 36. I'm not even old enough to read the Bible 31 times, right? 31 years in a row, you know what I'm saying? Just an incredible picture of God's faithfulness in her. Here's what I want you to hear. You don't have to go to seminary to be a faithful saint. You don't have to show up to every single thing that the church offers to be considered faithful. 
right? It's not about being a prayer warrior, constantly busting. You know, like you, we can look at like life and the Christian walk, and we can fall quickly to religion and say, well, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this to be faithful. That's not what we've seen in the book of Joshua. It's not what we've seen in the Rakers, as you mentioned them. And it's most certainly not what we saw in my grandma. Like what, what we have is faithful saints who cling to the promise. The promise is what? They cling to a Messiah coming. They cling to this reality that the land will be theirs eternally, not just temporally. They cling to the promise of a people, of a family that they get to spend eternity with. This is what they're clinging to. They cling to this promise, and it's the same promises that we see Joshua clinging to and all the heroes of the faith clinging to. Not just believing, church. I'm talking clinging to it. Like it's all they have clinging to it. Wrapping their arms about it. Are you with me? That's what it looks like to be faithful. Not just to do the work, but to cling to the work that's already been done. That is what it means to believe the gospel. I think it is good and right that as we look at older saints, we take this time and we just say, thank you. Like, thank you for loving us well. Thank you for loving Jesus more than you love us. Thank you. Thank you. Listen here. Thank you that we don't have to depend solely on the Bible to reveal what heroes of the faith look like, for we can look in this room. Think about it. The heroes of the faith, I'm going to read about it in Hebrews, don't just exist in Hebrews and in Joshua. They're right here. They're watching online, right? They're in our families, loving us, leading us. I think it's right, responsible that we say thank you to them. Hebrews 11, as I mentioned, commonly referred to as the hall of faith, says this. You throw it up for me, Carrie. Now faith, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Remember, it was just the stories of God that shattered the prostitute Rahab. Just the faithfulness of those who had come before her that shook her to the core. And then she's even mentioned in here. And all throughout Hebrews 11, there's all these mentionings of what has happened in those who have come before the events. Many of these events happened under Joshua's leadership. Hebrews 11:29 says this, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted uh, to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And it just goes on and on and on. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. By faith in what? In the promise that God would send land, he would send people, and he would send a Messiah. And they cling to this. It just goes on and on and on. And it's incredible that we have saints among us that get to model their faithfulness in this. We get to watch that. Like, just think about that for a second. In the midst of everything that's happening in our lives, we have these faithful saints that we get to look to, and they get to be a physical representation of Jesus to us. What a gift is that? You need to text some of those. They probably don't text. I'm just kidding. <laughs> i just kidding. Too soon? Too soon? Okay. You should probably text them and say, thank you. Thank you for being faithful, thankful. Thank you that we have a church that's full of faithful witnesses of the gospel. As I said this week and wrote this down, I'm thinking about just different saints, both young and old. Like, do you know last week, we had, or two weeks ago, last week we had a missional community gather because they couldn't RSVP. We had 20 plus, plus people gathering in a home. They made biscuits and gravy. Their kids circled around the TV for those that had kids, and they gathered in a home. Like, there is so much more happening than what you see in this room or than what you see online. I mean, people gathering. We had people two weeks ago that couldn't RSVP, and they said, hey, we'll come sit in the lobby. 
We'll sit in the lobby just to hear worship and just to hear a sermon and to get to be around the people of God. Like, that's the heartbeat of the people in your church. You with me? That's worth celebrating. Could you, we'll sit in the lobby. That's incredible. Right? Many of you don't believe in masks, yet you're like, hey, we will wear masks because we believe in the promises of God and we want to see people come to faith. It's a small sacrifice, yes. It's incredible. Like, that's the heartbeat of the people in our church. Like, we get to look to the left and right. We don't just have to look at Joshua, as incredible as a figure as he is. We can look right here in this room. It's incredible. That's the first part that we see. We need to give celebration to those who are older. Joshua is clearly old in age, and yet he has remained faithful. The second part of this, as we heard Paul read, we're not going to get into all the geography, the tribes, the placement, but there is something here that I want us to get into. There's something here that stood out to me that I want us to get into. So the big idea is remain faithful to the promise. Point number one was remain faithful to the promise. Point number two is probably what? Remain faithful to the promise. Yeah, I could sum up the whole Bible with that, couldn't we? Verse two, I'm going to try to read this as well as Paul did. I'm going to read this for context, and there's just one sentence I want you to camp out with me in. This is the land that yet remains. All the regions of the Philistines and those of the Geshurites, from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron, it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashton, Eshkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of Avon. In the south, the land of the Canaanites, Emira, that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gibelites. Gibelites? Gibelites? Gibelites. And all Lebanon, toward the sunrise from Baal Gad. I don't speak Hebrew. Below, below Mount Hermon to Labohamath. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Mesrephath Mayim. Even all the Sidonians. Listen to this. I myself, listen church, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Who's going to do it? I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Here's what I want you to do, Joshua, exactly what I told you to do the first time. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, do what I told you to do. Divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and to the half-tribe. Of Manasseh. So again, we're not going to get into all the geography. John Calvin told me it'd be a waste of time if he said it. I'm just going to say thank you and bump on. Here's what I do want you to retain from this. Point, first thing I want you to see, Joshua's old. We got that. Second thing I want you to see, Joshua's giving out the land as he's told to give out the land. Third thing I want you to see is this. God is going to remain faithful to his promise because that's what he always does. Constantly remaining faithful to his promise. All throughout the book of Joshua, remaining faithful to his promise. The call for us then is to remain faithful to the promise. Think about this. We've got old man Joshua sitting there on a milk crate. That's the way that I picture him. Take it, take it in. Sitting there, he's got his thing on. He's just sitting on a milk crate, having a one-on-one with Jesus, right? 110 years old at this point, church. 110 years old, faithful saint. At 30 years old, Joshua was at Mount Sinai with Moses receiving the Ten Commandments. At 70 years old, he was coming out of 40 years of wandering in the desert. And now he's just set in 40 years of battle, 40 years of conquering, 40 years of war, 40 years of death, 40 years of loss, 40 years of just battle after battle after battle after battle. And yet Joshua is completely faithful. Listen, his life is not easy. 
nothing easy about Joshua's life, and yet he remains eternally or completely faithful to the promise. Like here he is, picture Joshua in your mind, right? Old man sitting on this milk crate in his war garb. I'm talking battle-ready church. God-fearing, clinging to the promises of God. He's got an anchor tattooed on one arm and Semper Fi on the other, right? Like, <laughs> like ready to bang, you with me? 110 years old, got a cane, can use it for so much more, you with me? Like, you would read that, and you would think it would be like, okay, you know, like, I'm kind of wore out, I'm kind of tired, but what God is saying here, in effect, is like, you just do what I've called you to do, and I'll keep doing what I said I would do. I'm going to remain faithful. You just allot the land. I already captured it all for you. I've conquered it all for you. I've given everything to you. Just remain faithful. He says, I myself will drive them out. Like, set in that for just a second, like, with some grit. You with me? Like God says, I myself, do you hear the promise in that, church? Think about your last year of your life. Do you hear the gospel in that, becoming the, beginning to manifest itself just up out of the pages of the scriptures? I myself will drive them out. I hope you can hear it. I myself, Joshua, I'm going to conquer your enemies. I myself, Joshua, I will capture the land. I myself, I will push forward without fear, with maybe you experiencing some fear still. I myself, Joshua, I will do everything necessary to accomplish my promises. That's the, the faithfulness of the Lord there. That's the words, listen, of a nurturing father to a son. I'm going to say, Dad's got this thing. I myself will drive them out. Just be faithful with what I've already told you. To be faithful, remain faithful as I am faithful. That's the, the calling here, church, that we would remain faithful. Because the Lord is faithful, first and foremost. <clears throat> I wrote down here in my notes, just be real, illustration. <laughs> so we're going to see what the Spirit does with that, okay? Can I be vulnerable? I haven't been up here in a month. Can you handle it? There have been days over this last year, COVID aside, I mean, just to be honest, within COVID, outside of COVID, Merging two churches, just being a Christian dude, being a dad, e-learnings. I mean, all the things we've all experienced here. Man, I felt like 110 years old, sitting on a milk crate. Anybody else? Just feel beat. Feel tired. Got up a few months ago and just said I'm emotionally exhausted. Remember? Said anyone else? The whole room was like, yup. And it's just felt like a battle, hasn't it? Yeah, we're going to go for it. I came to a point this last year, man, I was tired of making decisions. I had decision fatigue. I coined that as a term. I got tired of holding people accountable. Called it accountability fatigue. I coined that as a term my brother started using. I got tired of people who are completely disengaged from the church thinking they can pastor better than me. I got tired of people being mad at me. Someone, Some of you are mad at me right now. I'm just tired of people being mad at me. And the vocal minority are the loudest, aren't they? They have a way of just wrecking everything beautiful the Lord wants to do. You know, I thought about quitting. Like to go, do, go to run with a completely different tribe of people for the first time. It's like hard for me to say out loud because I started this thing. Not this thing's emerged, but you know what I'm saying. For the first time, I thought, I think I'm done. To just sit in my office and 
it's tough, it's tough, dude. I thought I was like, man, you know, we have a pretty dynamic team. We have we get offers to go do stuff all the time as pastors. It's nothing normal, nothing out of the normal. But for the first time, like I really considered like leaving the whole tribe and going and running with a whole different crew. Just tired. Anybody else? This last year has been hard, yeah. I remember thinking, like, I, I brought people in that conversation. Let me be clear about this. I brought people in that conversation. I made some, real, some people real mad that I would even consider that with having some of those conversations. And I remember thinking and feeling, tell me if you can't relate at some point this last year. I remember thinking and feeling just so alone, just so alienated, completely surrounded by people and yet completely alone, completely isolated. And what had happened is even as I was sitting in this, there's some of the stuff I want you to hear, even as I was sitting and contemplating leaving, it just, it just it moved from, like, this deep sense of loneliness to, like, an incredible amount of shame. I can tell you in 13 years of being a Christian, I've never experienced shame until this last year. Like, like it felt like just the thought, like, the enemy crept in. It was like, for you even to consider that, you're an adulterer. Like, how dare you cheat on your people? Like, the enemy is so dark and so twisted, right? Any other vocation you can consider leaving, not a big deal. Holy, I mean, the Holy Spirit steps in in a minute, but the enemy was like, how could you? And then what does that do? That pushes you even deeper into isolation, even deeper into loneliness. So as I'm sitting, I'm thinking about this and, and praying about this. I remember coming to terms with the Lord, and I just said, God, it just, like, I just want somebody to fight for me. I'm just so wore out. I'm so tired. I'm beat, dude. And literally, I'm like getting emotional. I got emotional every time I shared this story. I'm like standing my hands like this, and I'm like, man, I just want someone to fight. And man, the Holy Spirit, just as the Father spoke to Joshua, so also spoke to me in that moment. He's going to speak to you through this. And he says, I have. I did fight. I fought for you. If everyone else leaves you, I fought for you. And like in that moment, boom, just like so much clarity, so much freedom came the absence of loneliness and shame, the sweetness of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus Christ. Like, here's what some of you in the room need to hear is the same thing that God told Joshua, that he himself will drive out whatever's affecting you. Like, he himself will do it, right? Where you don't have the power to forgive, he's forgiveness. When you've lost the power to be able to love someone faithfully, he loves faithfully. Whenever you don't have, you feel like you just can't be present or no one else is present, the Father is present because he sent the Son who sent the Holy Spirit and birthed you as a church. Like he's there with you in the midst of all of the drama, everything that has happened in this last year. You've never been alone, not for a millisecond. As the Father was pinning the last year of your life, Jesus was standing in your place in victory. That's the gospel. I jumped ahead a little bit, but that's still the gospel, right? It's just an incredible thing. And so like what's Interesting then as I sit here and I get to preach and I spend a ton of time with people doing pastoral counseling, like there are so many battles that are taking place in this room and they're just a part of a bigger war that's been happening for eternity. Like there's battles with fam- for family, battles for marriage, battles against addictions, battles against loneliness, against fear, against all these things. I know because I counsel through them all throughout the year. I experience some of them myself as well, Right? Battle against loneliness, battle against feeling shame. And there's this beautiful Jesus who stands before you and he says, I'm going to fight for you. Right? And so the war, church, listen, the war is not out there in culture somewhere like we try to pretend it is on Facebook. 
Christians keep redirecting all their anger and all their frustration and all their hate and all their drama through social media onto the world. That's not where the battle is. Dude, the battle is deep inside of you, and it is a battle against belief and unbelief. And in those moments, we have the opportunity to say, I'm going to project onto the world, or I'm going to stand faithfully on the promises of God. I'm going to remain faithful to the promise of God. What's the promise? He's going to send land. He's going to send people. He's going to send a Messiah. He himself will drive them out. That is the promise of God. I thought that was incredible in Joshua. Yeah, isn't that good? Like he himself, listen, Jesus, God himself fought for you, fought for me. God himself conquers enemies when we can't conquer them. God himself gives energy when we have no more energy to leave the house. We're just so tired and worn out. God himself offers to us forgiveness when we can't forgive ourselves. God himself gives us grace when we can't give ourselves or other people grace. He himself, that's how he fights the battle. He remains faithful to his promises so that we might look at him and be like, God, thank you for being faithful. I just don't have the strength to be faithful right now. It's been a hard year for us, hasn't it? And yet the call and the command even of the text is to remain faithful. Third point, what do you think it is? Remain faithful. Just remain faithful. Well, why do we do that? How do I get that energy? Well, I spoiled it a little bit. But we can remain faithful because there's another Joshua. There's a greater Joshua. I mean, Joshua in the Hebrew is literally Yeshua, which in the Greek is Jesus, okay? I mean, it's a pretty easy gospel application for you. This isn't Jesus in the text. It's Joshua. But you get what I'm saying? There's a better Joshua. There's a greater Joshua. Listen here. Jesus in his final hours. Look, he's not a God that's disconnected from you in any way. In his final hours, as he's about to enter into the hardest battle of his life, he's standing in the garden. Rather, he's kneeling in the garden praying to his father. And he says this, Matthew 26, 42. Right before this, it says, Jesus is anguished to the point of death, mind you. Okay? He says this, again for the second time. He goes out to pray for the second time. He, Jesus, went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Talking about the cross. So Jesus is in the garden. His disciples are over here taking a little cat nap. They're supposed to be awake, right? They're tired from the battle, quite literally. Jesus wakes them up. Jesus goes back, goes back to the Father to pray. And he says, for the second time, he went to pray. My Father, if this cannot pass, if the cross cannot pass, if there's not another way, if there's not another way to bring redemption to those who need to be redeemed, if there's not another way to save those who need to be saved, if there's not another way to reconcile those who have not been reconciled, if there's not another way to see a sinner come to life, if it does not pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus says, literally, if there's not another way, if there's no other way outside of the cross, then your will be done. What's he doing in this moment? He's modeling an incredible amount of faithfulness to the promises of God. He's believing that there is a land that is coming that he's going to usher in. That there's a people that will be birthed by the power of the Holy Spirit that will be called a church. He's faithful that he, in fact, is the Messiah who is promised. Like in our lack of faith, Jesus stands faithful in the garden and through the cross. And it leads to resurrection, church. It leads to the sending of the Holy Spirit. It's so beautiful that we get to be a part of this. And his, faith, his father says what? He says, be faithful to the promise. There literally is no other way. How do we know? Because he went to the cross. That's how we know. 
What does he say? He says, go be betrayed by Judas and then go to the cross. What is he saying in that moment? He's saying he himself will drive out the enemy. And he's going to do it through the bloodshed of a son. That's how he does it, right? He said, there is no other way, son. I myself will drive this enemy out, and I'm going to do it through you, not through man, not through humanity. They can't save themselves. They're not, they're not solid enough soldiers. They're not strong enough. They're not faithful enough. They're not ready. You are the only one that can do this. No one else can do this for you. Please hear the gospel in this thing, the gospel application. The beauty of the gospel is that when we fail to be faithful, Jesus will always be faithful in our place. When we feel like no one fights for us, he fought for us. Like the Messiah came, the promise was to send a Messiah, and Jesus has come and lived a life we can't live and died a death that we most certainly deserve to die, and he resurrects to new life. And because that's true, then the promise of the family remains, it's standing. Like the, the promises for a family, we are quite literally the family of God. Those watching on Facebook Live are the family of God. Those who gather in a missional community today because they might not be able to RSVP, that's the family of God. So we can literally look to our left and right to the faithful saints in this room and we can say, God, you are faithful to keep your promise. You yourself drove them out and birthed a church. 2,000 years later, we're still celebrating the faithfulness of Jesus right? The promise is for a land. Listen, and Jesus Christ himself will usher that land in. We can experience the kingdom of God right now, and there's a beautiful reality where everything that's been promised and given temporarily will eternally manifest itself. Like, he's going to split the skies, right? It won't be a trumpet that sounds so that the soldiers know it's time for battle. Like, the skies are going to literally rip themselves apart, and Jesus Christ will ascend, that is the hope that we sung about. That's the hope that got read over us. That's the beauty of the gospel. And it's not going to happen in theory. We can look back over all the promises of God, and we can see that he has most certainly been faithful to maintain his promise of Messiah, family, and land. Here's the gospel. When you see this tension of the, the text here, Carrie, put this up. The difference between Joshua and Jesus is so important. The difference between Joshua and Jesus is this. God allowed Joshua to conquer the people to fulfill his promise. Okay, God allows Joshua to conquer the people to fulfill his promise. Hear the gospel. God allows the people, sinners that we are, to conquer Jesus, to ultimately fulfill his promise. You see the contrast there. Right? There's one where, where God has said, you know, you're going to go off. You're going to fight the battle. You're going to win. That's all of Joshua. That's what we see. But then to the son, he says, no, 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 the battle's going to come to you, and you're going to lose. And in losing, you're actually going to experience a great deal of victory, not just for yourself, but for literally everyone. Both Jesus and Joshua experienced victory. One comes at the expense of others, and one comes at the expense of himself. That's the gospel. That's incredible. So here we go. So stand with me as we get to enter into communion. God made a promise, church. He promised to put death to death. And then he did it. So as you stand there holding those communion cups in your hands, let me give you a few things to think about. God made this promise to put death to death. He did it. God made a promise for redemption. He sent his son to go to the cross for us. God promises to bring salvation now. He's birthed the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he himself did it. He doesn't look at us with religious intent and say, it's your responsibility to measure up. 
It's your responsibility to get yourself out of your loneliness, get yourself out of your shame, step up into your good works, you need to pray more, read more, do all the right things. Rather, he says, he himself will drive out the enemy. Like, he himself is going to do it. And then he did it. Right? And what's beautiful about this is the promises, they don't exist just in these pages, they don't exist just in this room, but these promises exist in a person. And that's why we take communion. So as you see that wafer there that represents Christ's body, it was broken for you. That's what the battle did. As you see the cup, which represents Christ's blood that was spilled on your behalf, in your place, as your substitute, listen, it was a gruesome battle. It was a bloody battle. But he did it because he loves us. Because he's going to fulfill every single promise that could ever, we could ever imagine. Jesus is the Messiah. He willingly came. Jesus did so to birth the people so that we could experience a land together forever. We would simply stand and worship him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's take communion together. and The ladies will lead us out.